Chapter Five of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter Five. How the Royal Irish Artillery entertained some of the neighbors at dinner if i stuck at a fib as little as some historians i might easily tell you who won the prizes at this shooting on palmerstown green but the truth is i don't know my grand-uncle could have told me for he had a marvellous memory but he died a pleasant old gentleman of fourscore and upwards when i was a small urchin i remember his lively old face his powdered bald head and pigtail his slight erect figure and how merrily he used to play the fiddle for his juvenile posterity to dance to but i was not of an age to comprehend the value of this thin living volume of old lore or to question the oracle well it can't be helped now and the papers i've got are silent upon the point but there were jollifications to no end both in palmerstown and chapel is it that night and declaratory conversations rising up in the street at very late hours and singing and hurrooing along the moonlit roads there was a large and pleasant dinner-party too in the mess-room of the royal irish artillery lord castle mallard was there in the place of honour next to jolly old general chatsworth and the worthy rector dr walsingham and father roach the dapper florid little priest of the parish with his silk waistcoat and well-placed paunch and his keen relish for funny stories side dishes and convivial glass and dan loftus that simple meek semi-barbarous young scholar his head in a state of chronic dishevelment, his harmless little round light blue eyes, pinkish from late night reading, generally betraying the absence of his vagrant thoughts, and I know not what of goodness, as well as queerness in his homely features. Good Dr. Walsingham, indeed, in his simple benevolence, had helped the strange, kindly creature through college and had a high opinion of him and a great delight in his company they were both much given to books and according to their lights zealous archaeologists they had got hold of chapel Izzard castle a good tough enigma it was a theme they never tired of loftus had already two folios of extracts copied from all the records to which dr walsingham could procure him access they could not have worked harder indeed if they were getting up evidence to prove their joint title to lord castle mallard's estates this pursuit was a bond of close sympathy between the rector and the student and they spent more time than appeared to his parishioners quite consistent with sanity in the paddock by the river pacing up and down and across poking sticks into the earth and grubbing for old walls underground loftus moreover was a good irish scholar 
and from Celtic MSS had elicited some cross-lights upon his subject, not very bright or steady, I allow, but enough to delight the rector and inspire him with a tender reverence for the indefatigable and versatile youth who was devoting to the successful equitation of their hobby so many of his hours and so much of his languages labour and brains lord castle mallard was accustomed to be listened to and was not aware how confoundedly dull his talk sometimes was it was measured and dreamy and every way slow he was entertaining the courteous old general at the head of the table with an oration in praise of paul dangerfield a wonderful man immensely wealthy the cleverest man of his age he might have been anything he pleased his lordship really believed his english property would drop to pieces if dangerfield retired from its management and he was vastly obliged to him inwardly for retaining the agency even for a little time longer he was coming over to visit the irish estates perhaps to give nutter a wrinkle or two he was a bachelor and his lordship averred would be a prodigious great match for some of our irish ladies chapel is it would be his headquarters while in ireland no he was not sure he rather thought he was not of the thurley family and so on for a mighty long time but though he tired them prodigiously he contrived to evoke before their mind's eyes a very gigantic though somewhat hazy figure and a good deal stimulated the interest with which a new arrival was commonly looked for in that pleasant suburban village there is no knowing how long lord castle mallard might have prosed upon this theme had he not been accidentally cut short and himself laid fast asleep in his chair without his or anybody else's intending it for overhearing during a short pause in which he sipped some claret surgeon stirk applying some very strong and indeed frightful language to a little pamphlet upon magnetism a subject then making a stir as from a much earlier date it was periodically done to the present day he languidly asked dr walsingham his opinion upon the subject now dr walsingham was a great reader of out-of-the-way lore and retained it with a sometimes painful accuracy and he forthwith began there is my lord castle mallard a curious old tract of the learned van helmont in which he says as near as i can remember his words that magnetism is a magical faculty which lieth dormant in us by the opiate of primitive sin and therefore stands in need of an exciter which exciter may be either good or evil but is more frequently satan himself by reason of some previous opignoration or compact with witches the power indeed is in the witch not conferred by him but this verspellius or protean impostor these are his words will not suffer her to know that it is of her own natural endowment though for the present charmed into somnolent inactivity by the narcotic of primitive sin i verily believe that a fair description none of your poetical balderdash 
but an honest plodding description of a perfectly comfortable bed and of the process of going to sleep would judiciously administered soon after dinner overpower the vivacity of any tranquil gentleman who loves a nap after that meal gently draw the curtains of his senses and extinguish the bedroom candle of his consciousness in the doctor's address and quotation there was so much about somnolency and narcotics and lying dormant and opiates that my lord castle mallard's senses forsook him and he lost as you my kind reader must all the latter portion of the doctor's lullaby i'd give half i'm pothetted of thur and all my prospect in life lisped vehemently plump little lieutenant puttock in one of those stage frenzies to which he was prone to be the firth alexander on the borth between ourselves puttock was short and fat very sentimental and a little bit of a gourmet his desk stuffed with amorous sonnets and receipts for side dishes he always in love and often in the kitchen or under the rose he loved to direct the cooking of critical little plats very good-natured rather literal very courteous a chevalier indeed sans reproche he had a profound faith in his genius for tragedy but those who liked him best could not help thinking that his plump cheeks round little light eyes his lisp and a certain lackadaisical though solemn expression of surprise which nature in one of her jocular moods seemed to have fixed upon his countenance were against his shining in that walk of the drama he was blessed too with a pleasant belief in his acceptance with the fair sex but had a real one with his comrades who knew his absurdities and his virtues and laughed at and loved him but hang it there's no youth in doing things by halves melpomene's the most jealous of the muses i tell you if you stand well in her graceth by jove there you must give yourself up to her body and thole how the dooth can a fellow that's out at drill at hicth in the mornin and all day with his head filled with tactith and gunnery and 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 farced pigeons and lovely women said devereux and such dry professional matters continued he without noticing perhaps hearing the interpolation how can he possibly have a chance against geniuses no doubt vastly superior by nature puttock the rogue believed no such thing but who devote themselves to the study of art incessantly exclusively and and impossible said o'flaherty there now was tommy shycock of valley basely that larned himself to balance a fiddlestick on his chin and the young ladies especially miss katie mahony used to be all around him in the ballroom at Tralee, looking wonderin and laughin and i that had twished his brains could not come round it though i got up every mornin for a month to four o'clock and was obliged to give over by raison of a sort of a squint i was gettin by looking continually at the fiddlestick i began with a double bass the way he did 
it's it that was the powerful fatigue and exercise i can tell you two blessed hours a day regular practice besides an odd half hour now and again but three mortial hours it took him to larn it and drilled a dimple in his chin you could put a marrow fat pay in practice resumed puddock i need not spell his lisp study time to devote industry in great things as in small there's the secret nature to be sure ay nature to be sure we must sustain nature dear puddock so pass the bottle said devereux who liked his glass be the powers mr puddock if i had half your genius for play-actin persisted o'flaherty nothing would keep me from the boards of smock alley playhouse in cog i mean of course there's that wonderful little mr garrick why he's the talk of the three kingdoms as long as i can remember and making his thousand pounds a week coining big gannies and he can't be much taller than you for he's contemptibly small i'm the taller of the two said little puddock haughtily who had made inquiries and claimed half an inch over rocious honestly let us hope but this is building castles in the air joking apart however i do confess i should dearly love just for a maggot to play two parts richard the third and tamerlane was not that the part you spoke that sympathetic speech out of for me before dinner no that was just as greedy said devereux ay so it was was it that smothered his wife with a pudding clout persisted devereux no with a poo ah uh, you know and stabbed himself continued o'flaherty with a larding pin tis written in good italian ah not at all it isn't italian but english i'm thinking of a pillar puddock you know the black rascal well english or italian tragedy or comedy said devereux who liked puddock and would not annoy him and saw he was hurt by othello's borrowing his properties from the kitchen i venture to say you were well entertained and for my part sir there are some characters in farce puddock was really highly diverting in which i prefer puddock to any player i ever saw oh ho ho laughed poor little puddock with a most gratified derisiveness for he cherished in secret a great admiration for devereux and so they talked stage talk puddock lifting away grand and garrulous o'flaherty the illiterate blundering in with sincere applause and devereux sipping his claret and dropping a quiet saucy word now and again i shall never forget mrs sibber's countenance in that last scene you know in the orphan monomia you know devereux and the table being by this time in high chat and the chairs a little irregular puddock slipped off his and addressing himself to devereux and o'flaherty just to give them a notion of mrs sibber began with a countenance the most woebegone and in a piping falsetto when i'm laid low in the grave and quite forgotten monomia dies at the end of the speech as the reader may not be aware but when puddock came to the line when i'm dead 
as presently i shall be all mrs sibber's best points being still to come the little lieutenant's heel caught in the edge of the carpet as he sailed with an imaginary hoop on grandly backward and in spite of a surprising flick-flack cut in the attempt to recover his equipoise down came the orphan together with a table-load of spoons and plates with a crash that stopped all conversation lord castle mallard waked up with a snort and a hello gentlemen it's only poor dear monomia general said devereux with a melancholy bow in reply to a fiery and startled stare darted to the point by that gallant officer hey hey said his lordship brightening up and gazing grassily round with a wan smile and i fancy he thought a lady had somehow introduced herself during his nap and was pleased for he admired the sex if there's any recitation going on i think it had better be for the benefit of the company said the general a little surly and looking full upon the plump monomia who was arranging his frill and hair and getting a little awkwardly into his place and i think twould be no harm lieutenant puddock my dear said his father roach testily for he had been himself frightened by the crash if you'd die a little easier the next time puddock began to apologize never mind said the general recovering let's fill our glasses my lord castle mallard they tell me this claret is a pretty wine a very pretty wine said my lord and suppose my lord we ask these gentlemen to give us a song i say gentlemen there are fine voices among you will some gentleman oblige the company with a song mr loftus sings a very fine song i'm told said captain clough with a wink at father roach ay cried roach backing up the joke a good old one and not yet quite off the hooks mr loftus sings i'll take my davy i've heard him loftus was shy simple and grotesque and looked like a man who could not sing a note so when he opened his eyes looked round and blushed there was a general knocking of glasses and a very flattering clamour for mr loftus's song but when silence came to the surprise of the company he submitted though with manifest trepidation and told them that he would sing as the company desired it was a song from a good old writer upon fasting in lent and was in fact a reproof to all hypocrisy hereupon there was a great ringing of glasses and a jolly round of laughter rose up in the cheer that welcomed the announcement father roach looked queer and disconcerted and shot a look of suspicion at devereux for poor dan loftus had in truth hit that divine straight in a very tender spot the fact is father roach was as irish priests were sometimes then a bit of a sportsman he and tool used occasionally to make mysterious excursions to the dublin mountains he had a couple of mighty good dogs which he lent freely being a good-natured fellow he liked good living and jolly young fellows and was popular among the officers 
who used to pop in freely enough at his reverence's green hall door whenever they wanted a loan of his dogs or to take counsel of the ghostly father whose opinion was valued more highly even than tools upon the case of a sick dog or a lame nag well one morning only a few weeks before Devereux and tool together had looked in on some such business upon his reverence a little suddenly and found him eating a hare by all the gods it was hare pie in the middle of lent it was at breakfast his dinner was a meal of anchorite and who would have guessed that these confounded sparks would have bounced into his little refectory at that hour of the morning there was no room for equivocation he had been caught in the very act of criminal conversation with the hare pie he rose with a spring like a jack-in-a-box as they entered and knife and fork in hand and with shining chops stared at them with an angry bothered and alarmed countenance which increased their laughter it was a good while before he obtained a hearing such was the hilarity so sustained the fire of ironical compliments inquiries and pleasantries and the general uproar when he did with hand uplifted after the manner of a prisoner arraigned for murder he pleaded a dispensation i suppose it was true for he backed the allegation with several most religious oaths and imprecations and explained how men were not always quite so strong as they looked that he might if he liked it by permission of his bishop eat meat at every meal in the day and every day in the week that his not doing so was a voluntary abstinence not conscientious only expedient to prevent the unreasonable remarks of his parishioners a roar of laughter that he was perhaps rightly served for not having publicly availed himself of his bishop's dispensation renewed peals of merriment by this foolish delicacy more of that detestable horse laughter he had got himself into a false position and so on till the admis recordium peroration addressed to captain devereux dear and tool my honey well they quizzed him unmercifully they sat down and ate all that was left of the hare pie under his wistful ogle they made him narrate minutely every circumstance connected with the smuggling of the game and the illicit distillation for the mess they never passed so pleasant a morning of course he bound them over to eternal secrecy and of course as in all similar cases the vow was religiously observed nothing was ever heard of it at mess oh no and duel never gave a dramatic representation of the occurrence heightened and embellished with all the little doctor's genius for farce there certainly was a monologue to which he frequently afterwards treated the aldermen of skinner's alley and other convivial bodies at supper the doctor's gestures were made with knife and fork in hand and it was spoken in a rich brogue and tones sometimes of thrilling pathos anon of sharp and vehement indignation and again of childlike endearment amidst pounding and jingling of glasses and screams of laughter from the company indeed the lord mayor a fat slob of a fellow though not much given to undue merriment 
left his ribs into such a state of breathless torture that he implored of tool with a wave of his hand he could not speak to give him breathing time which that voluble performer disregarding his lordship had to rise twice and get to the window or as he afterwards said he should have lost his life and when the performance was ended his fat cheeks were covered with tears his mouth hung down his head wagged slowly from side to side and with short gasping ohs and ohs his hands pressed to his pudgy ribs he looked so pale and breathless that although they said nothing several of his comrades stared hard at him and thought him in rather a queer state shortly after this little surprise i suppose by way of ratifying the sacred treaty of silence father roach gave the officers and tool a grand lent dinner of fish with no less than nineteen different plates baked boiled stewed in fact a very splendid feast and puttock talked of some of those dishes more than twenty years afterwards End of chapter 5 Recording by John Brandon